Prophecy foretells of a podcast so stunning, so brave, that it could only ever go by one name. A show so woke that it became its own gender. A show so hot that we'll understand if it turns you gay. You're listening to Stunning and Brave with Chris Cowan and Nate Henderson. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to another edition of Stunning and Brave. Uh, My name is Chris Cowan, and uh, Nate is not in today, uh, but I do have a a very special guest uh, that I'd like to welcome, uh, Paul McCusker. Hey, Paul. Hi. Paul, uh, you have uh, agreed to be on this show, uh, so uh, you take full responsibility for for anything anything that follows. Yes, uh, I've point. signed the waivers; they're in the mail. Okay, perfect, perfect. So you'll have them sometime next August. <laughs> nice, just in time. Perfect. Um, but uh, Paul, I'm I'm super stoked to to have you on this show for a number of of reasons, uh, not the least of which is uh, I, I grew up hearing your name. Uh, constantly, uh, because I grew up like like many other uh, Christian kids from the '80s and '90s. I grew up listening to uh, Adventures in Odyssey, and uh, I heard Chris's voice at the end of each episode saying, "This episode was written by Paul McCusker." Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm I'm I'm. It's it's a very nostalgic thrill uh, to to have you on the on the show. And uh, my own kids listen to Adventures in Odyssey all the time as well. And uh, it is it, so when they heard that uh, you were going to be on the show, uh, they were super excited uh, about that as, as well. So it's it's one of those things that's spanning multiple generations. And uh, mm-hmm. and so it's it's. Well, I'm, I'm just puzzled, though, because you said you grew up listening to Odyssey, which makes me think you weren't listening to Odyssey because. I don't know when you would have grown up. Uh, I don't think any of us working on the show ever did. So oh, yeah. I'm surprised to hear that the audience ever did. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 let's see. <laughs> I, I, I was outside of time a little bit because I, I, I mostly listened to it uh, through the, I had those VHS shaped uh, collections of, of the mm. audio tapes. And, yep. uh, and so we would, we would listen to those just nonstop at night as we're going to bed. Um, and, uh, so, so for those not in the know, uh, Adventures in Odyssey is a, a Christian radio drama that, what, when did that start? Was that the mid eighties, late eighties? Yeah, it was, um, well, the, yeah, I, I guess uh, 86, 87. Okay. Around in there is when it started and it's still going. Yeah, it's still, it's still going today. Um, it's, I think uh, at this point, probably the only other radio drama that, that might have you beat in terms of longevity, would that be uh, Unshackled? Did you ever listen to that? <laughs> yeah, I remember Unshackled. I don't know if they're still producing. I, I, I think the one that actually beats Adventures in Odyssey might be uh, British. Oh yeah, uh, audio drama called The Archers. I think it's called. Oh and, really? Uh, that one's been going longer, but yeah, I think we we may have some sort of record. I'm not sure what it is. There's some kind of record there. Yeah, Unshackled. Uh, I know they were still making it at least a probably a, a couple decades ago with the, the still still playing the organ music in between <laughs> in between right. each scene. I have a, a pastor friend who was actually uh, his story was featured on uh, Unshackled. The uh, oh. 
It's a, the radio drama, again, for those not in the know, Unshackled is a radio drama that dates back to when I think organ music in a radio drama was common, uh, and it f- featured uh, uh, various testimonies of, of people uh, uh, coming, coming to the Lord. Um, so, uh, but, so Adventures in Odyssey, it's a, it's a family Christian drama, started in 86, 87. Um, I grew up listening to it. My kids are now growing up listening to it. Um, it's a multi-generational thing. Uh, when, uh, how early on did, did you get involved with that? Pretty much from the, from the start? Yeah, it was from the start. I, I was freelancing as a writer and worked on Family Portraits, which was the predecessor okay, yeah. to what became Adventures in Odyssey. And then they uh, decided to make it a, a weekly kids series, mm-hmm. um, which was called U- Odyssey USA originally. And That's then right. they changed that and uh, to make it a little more international, which was Adventures in Odyssey. But yeah, I was, I think I actually wrote the second episode that ever aired under okay. the name Adventures in Odyssey. So I was freelancing and then went on staff uh, nice. for a long time. That's awesome. And do you do you still write uh, uh, for Adventures in Odyssey, or have you? Um, has it been a while since you've done that? It's been. Um, I still freelance for them. I'm I'm not on staff with them. I okay. did uh, a few episodes, oh, a year or so ago, and I'm open to doing more as time and uh, interest allows. Theirs right. and mine. And uh, so yeah, I'm and I'm still in contact with the guys and yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Were you uh, surprised at all with the both the I guess the longevity and and just the uh, amount of people that listen to it? You know the success of the show. Well, I I think so. I mean, it's very humbling, honestly. I, I think when when you start something like that, yeah. Uh, I don't know that I ever day had a day when I thought, well, this is going to go on for you know thirty five years, right? <laughs> Um, I think at the time, most of us were thinking we were so glad to have a job getting paid to do something that we really enjoyed doing. And, um, and so through the years, uh, it has been humbling. I keep thinking that we're sort of, especially as writers and producers, we're kind of like in sort of, it feels like we're in our little cubicle and we're sort of doing what we do and we throw it over a wall, you know, and then what happens to it once it goes over the wall is is outside of our control and uh so the fact that it's lasted as long and the fact that it's has impacted hopefully positively lives is the gratifying thing i think coming into like a second and third generation of listeners is very gratifying especially when they have we have listeners who are doing what you're doing moving into the arts moving into communication fields um and some who have said they were inspired to do it because they were listening to odyssey when they grew up yeah, absolutely. I remember actually when I was uh, when I was a kid, I used to think, ah, I want to be like an actor. I want to be uh, when I grow up, I want to do uh, you know voiceover stuff for voice acting for Adventures in Odyssey. I even uh, wrote a letter into uh, Focus on the Family, um, uh, saying I wanted to do that, and they were like, oh, that's that's nice. You're a little kid. You're cute. Here's a here's a free book, um, and. Uh, and so, in, yeah, in in some ways that that has inspired me because I actually do voiceover, voice acting, and voiceover work uh, mm. uh, on the side part time. Um, and looking back, I'm like, yeah, I used to I used to want to do that even when I was a kid, 
And I used to fill up blank audio tapes, you know, mm. writing scripts and acting out different voices and that kind of thing. Um, and it, uh, I definitely would say Adventures in Odyssey was a, a huge uh, impact on that. Um, well, and it's funny because years later, we actually did contests where... Uh, that's right, yeah. Recordings of themselves either acting or we would actually produce scripts or whatever the case may be because we had fans who loved to do that and we liked to encourage it. Yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, of course, one of my, one of my favorite uh, kind of characters in, in Adventures in Odyssey was the, I'm calling it a character, but it's an object, the uh, Imagination Station mm-hmm. um, was always, uh, you know, one of those impactful uh, aspects of the show where it's this, you know, kind of like a, a holodeck almost. You, you enter this booth and, and you, you know, you, you go on an adventure in your imagination. Um, and I actually used to, uh, we, we used to, <laughs> we, we used to take a, a, a closet in my room and we would pat it down with like blankets and pillows. Mm. And then we'd have like a stack of comic books in there and an Adventures in Odyssey uh, tape. And I would, char- I would charge my younger siblings 25 cents to sit in that, <laughs> sit in that <laughs> comfy closet with the comic books. And then they could listen to a, a whole episode of Adventures in Odyssey for 25 mm-hmm. cents. <laughs> no. oh, that's funny. Did you make a lot of money off of that, or did they realize that they could actually do the same in their own rooms for free? <laughs> uh, they, uh, yeah, but they didn't have the comic book collection. See, that was my uh, that, that uh, was my bargaining chip there. Uh, but <laughs> no, turn turns out charging uh, you know six or seven year olds uh, isn't the most lucrative business model. I think uh, so. It it, it wasn't uh, wasn't my most successful uh, business venture for sure. Um, now you've you've done a little bit of voice acting yourself, right? Because uh, you were you you played uh, some characters on the show. Well, yeah, and I'm not an actor, and that and I I preface everything by saying <laughs> that that it was something that um, uh, there's kind of a long story behind it, but yeah, I played one character in particular um, who um, was kind of a Weasley bad guy. Yeah, and um, I I did it kind of filling in believing i think at the time that i was laying down a track that was going to be replaced by a real actor and um oh really oh funny and 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 they went no no we actually we we like what you did so you're you're the character now so i actually had to i think i i moved him out of odyssey years (laughs) later out of having to play him anymore just i just had him go Oh really? Um, oh, that's I funny. think my, the last I heard, he's sweating it out in a Mexican jail for selling <laughs> illegal velvet Elvises of Tijuana. Or <laughs> and that was uh, the character of Philip Glossman, right? Yes. He was a kind of a, a sleaze bag. Yep. Yeah. And I learned a big lesson from that. Well, um, besides, you know, being very careful with what I record. The other is, um, if you're going to play a character like that, change your voice. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only voice I have. Right. And so. I didn't think about that. And I'm playing this character. And now I, I've got people who will hear my voice somewhere and they'll come up and they'll look at you. They're like, you're Philip Glossman, are you? Are you? Aren't you? And I'd say, well, no, I'm actually Paul McCusker, but I did play the character. <laughs> and kids will go like, well, I don't like you. It's the only voice I have. So if I, if I could go back and do it all over again, I would have. Yeah. Well, you, you made a very convincing jerk. 
uh, very convincing <laughs> sleaze bag too. Yeah, I think some of the guys on the team would say that it was typecasting. <laughs> nice nice and so as the as kind of looking back um you know the 80s were definitely a a different time um and uh you know kind of watching as the culture has shifted and as the the show has you know changed in in some ways and and remained the same in others um do you feel like uh, what are what is kind of the the value that you see uh, Adventures in Odyssey ha- has had. Well, I think uh, like any any good program, I mean, good storytelling is is we need good storytelling, and by yeah. good, I mean high quality, but also, from my point of view, morally based. Yeah, uh, our stories often direct where we go. Um, long before there was legislation about certain issues. You know, Norman Lear in the 70s created All in the Family and created a number of shows. And then other shows picked up the fact that you could use a story to promote a particular agenda. Right. Um, and if you did it really well, people didn't even pick up on the agenda, which is yeah. the best thing to do if you can do it. Um, and so number one is the power of story. And then moving into the realm of something that was very new at the time was audio drama itself. MTV had come aboard. People thought we were crazy to do an audio drama when (laughs) everybody else was watching TV. And yet here we are uh, 30 plus years later, and the power of audio drama is still ever present. In fact, the power of audio, the fact that you're even doing this and, and it's not being done visually still suggests that there's uh, plenty of room for the imagination engaging in audio, which is what another thing we loved about it, that in many ways the pictures were always so much better yeah. in an audio drama than because you, you can imagine so much more than you might when everything's fed to you through the visual arts of film and TV. Yeah. And uh, and so I think that's that's critical. And, uh, and of course, the morality, the foundation of whatever it is that you're doing, knowing that it's going to influence people, even if you don't mean for it to. Right. This is why I'm always puzzled by artists, you know, rock artists or whoever, who just don't seem to or go into denial over the fact that they're influencing kids in certain directions to yeah. do certain things. But they like to think they're influencing them in positive ways. And then when they discover they've influenced them in a very bad way, then they disavow right. that, that, that they had any power to do that. And yet these are the same guys that do commercials for other things or other issues they want to get behind because they say, well, I want to be an influence. Right. So stories and, and the personalities, people behind them, I think, are, are influencing either intentionally or unintentionally. And it's the unintentionally that sometimes comes back to bite us. Yeah, it's... I think anyone who, I mean, any, if you have any connection with, with another human being, you have influence in some way. And the larger your platform, the larger your audience, of course, there's going to be some influence. Even if, even if you're amoral, like, even if your presentation is amoral, that's an influence into amoralism or, or nihilism. Um, there's, there's no avoiding that there's going to be some influence. Um, and I, 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 I'm I'm curious as a as a Christian as a conservative uh, writer because um, one of the one of the issues that I, I feel like is 
it used to be a Christian media problem, and now it's a media problem, is there's this idea of using, using media to influence uh, without becoming preachy. And I, I'm wondering, I'd like to get your thoughts on that. What, what is, has that been a struggle for you of like, I want to tell this story, I want to communicate, and I want to communicate these you know, morals or messages uh, but I you don't want to lose the audience by becoming too preachy. Well, and that that's always been, uh, it's always a struggle, I think. And we we even see it in the secular realm. Uh, yeah. We know films and TV shows where the message is so heavy handed, there's no denying what it is. And we can feel that someone's behind the scenes manipulating characters or dialogue or whatever to promote the message. Right. But as we said a minute ago, intentional or not, every form of communication has message behind it. Yeah. Um, there is some sort of worldview. There's some perspective, even if it's a perspective that the, the the artist doesn't agree with. I've written perspectives in characters that I don't agree with, but I still write them because I want to be true to character. Yeah. Uh, the art of, 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 well, it's two different things, I guess. One is you can have kind of two different art forms. One is a proclamation where you really are. It's like Odyssey was a teaching show. Yeah. Uh, and we knew that our audience was Christian and we were speaking to Christians. That's why yeah. we didn't have a lot of altar call moments. Right. And if there was preachiness, you know, it was through maybe wit who was trying to teach kids lessons because that's why parents wanted their kids to listen. Yeah. But I think as the years or a number of episodes went by, we then uh, became a little bit more interested in, well, how, how do we, how do you teach without people feeling like they're being taught? Yeah. Especially kids, the core listeners, because uh, they get taught to all day. So it's nice for them to have an escape in many ways. Yeah. And, and the other was, uh, so you don't bury it. You're not trying to be sneaky. The fact is you're just trying to tell a good story through your characters and plot. And then that leads to the other kind, which is exploration. Yeah. So it focused on the family, uh, we were able to do both through Odyssey. We were, we were sort of doing the proclamation thing that fortunately, I think we, we got pretty good at doing it without being preachy. Yeah. And, and yet it was still there. Yeah. And, and then there's the exploration and like, for example, focus on the family radio theater when we did Chronicles of Narnia or right. the father Gilbert mysteries and things like that, we were using other forms of story to explore ideas. Yeah. So rather than say, look, I got an agenda, I've got something I'm trying to teach you or proclaim to you. Uh, we're going to actually explore this idea together yeah. and may end on a note that leaves you to think about it. It's pretty much what Jesus did with the parables. Yeah. Most of the parables were exploratory, even though he knew exactly what he was teaching. He left the audience to go off and think about what he had said. He yeah. very rarely explained the parables. And then that allowed everybody to go off and say, well, let's see, what was that? What was he talking about? This, this son who goes off and squanders all of his father's money. And right. I mean, uh, he, he was in, in some respects a failure as an evangelical um, <laughs> because so often there's, there are audiences that want you to spell things out. They want right. reassurance or they want to know that somebody else is hearing a message they want to hear. Yeah. So often Jesus didn't spell it out. He, very often he didn't even do the altar call, right? Uh, except the ultimate altar, um, which was the cross. But uh, so the exploration 
uh, I think actually makes for better art Yeah. in general, because when you're exploring, then you really are working it through plot and character and all the things that make for good storytelling. And it's more that. Yeah. It's more engaging. Heavy handed worry about, am I getting the message across? Exactly. Yeah. It's more, it it engages the audience more because you're, you're forcing them to engage their mind and, and, and process stuff more than you would if you were just like, here's the story and here's the moral, which obviously has benefit, but. And the audience picks that up. They they know they're being respected. Yeah. Uh, And we all feel that when we're watching or listening to something that just spoon feeds us as if we're idiots. Yeah. And so when we respect the audience by giving them good stories, quality storytelling, quality um, execution through production, um, that's also respecting them saying, uh, we're, we're yeah. going to trust. We're going to trust you to use your brain and make, draw your own conclusions about yeah. what it, whatever it is that we're presenting to you, and hopefully you've been entertained while it was happening. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm always curious about the the spiritual journey uh, people people go on, um, and so I'd like to kind of hear a little bit about about yours because I know. Um, uh, you, uh, I think you said about 13 years ago, um, you were accepted into the Catholic church. I use the word uh, converted and and you use the word, uh, accepted um, or or received. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, prior to that, were you, were you, uh, raised Protestant or, Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I grew up Baptist. I mean, my okay. formative years spiritually were at a Baptist church in Bowie, Maryland, where okay. I grew up. And, um, you know, so I come from what would be a, a, a staunchly Protestant mm-hmm. uh, Baptist to a great degree. But I mean, it's interesting. Uh, our Baptist church, a lot of reason, uh, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing now is because our Baptist church was very arts minded. Oh, cool. And, um, and so that's where I actually began to write. I began to do a lot of things that then would set my path. So, um, and, and it was so formative. I mean, I, I actually did, I did a piece not too long ago that was how being a Baptist has made me a better Catholic, which <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot of Baptists who are thinking, uh, that's not the point. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm sure that's not what they were trying to do. Um, but uh, through circumstances, again, going back to the 80s uh-huh. um, for me, uh, when the evangelical churches kind of slipped into the whole seeker movement, uh-huh. where churches um, where churches were pretty much doing everything they could not to be a church. Yeah. Uh, applying all of the latest marketing ideas to try to get people to church. Yes. And the entire time, and I was living in Southern California then, the entire time I just kept I had this nagging feeling that the church was supposed to be more transcendent than that. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have used the word transcendent at the time, but I, 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 I kept thinking it's been around for 2000 years. And, and so why does it feel like it's a spiritual seven 11? I, I'm just not quite connecting. <laughs> yeah. I kept thinking there's more. Yeah. And a lot of that then led me, uh, ultimately to um, the Anglican church. We were living in England and okay. uh, my wife is English, but we wound up going to an Anglican church there. And I guess you would call it Anglo-Catholic. It was very, um, what they would call high church liturgical, okay. which was so far from anything I grew up with yeah. in that sense. And yet I felt like I'd come home. Okay. I felt like 
this is what I've been looking for mm -hmm. because we were doing things there that they were doing back in the second century. Yeah. First and second century in terms of even wording and, and all of that. Yeah. So um, uh, being Anglican then ultimately, uh, especially in this country when the Episcopal church went into its own spiral and implosion right. over a variety of social issues um, basically led me to a key question, which is, so who has the authority to interpret scripture and establish doctrine? Mm -hmm. And that was my question. Yeah. Because I kept thinking, everybody says, okay, well, here's what this verse means. Right. And whether it was pro something or anti something or whatever. And so who has the authority to do that? Is it every individual? Mm -hmm. Is it every individual with a Bible? I mean, how is this done? And so that question took me back to the ancient church. Mm. And by ancient, I mean, I wasn't thinking in terms of Catholic or anything. I just right. went back, looked at the book of Acts and began to read. I, I threw myself into history to a great degree. Yeah. And, uh, and then I came to a conclusion, which I think is scripturally based, which is uh, apostolic authority. And then the question was, well, who has that now? Who's carrying that oh, out now? That's the Pentecostals, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, actually, I, I was thinking of another group, but you know, that's okay. Yeah. But anyway, I wound up with, um, yeah, I, I wound up then saying, well, it's, it's the Catholic Church. And then um, having come to that answer, even as disruptive as it was in yeah. so many ways, um, having, having chased the question and come to the answer, and then I said, well, if that's it, then I'm, I need to act on it. I can't just continue on as I've been. So yeah. Uh, yeah, so I was received into the church. I think it's yeah, it's been about thirteen years. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's always interesting to me. I know there's um, uh, I I think you know, uh, having been raised Protestant, there especially if you're raised you know any kind of particularly conservative Baptist, mm -hmm. uh, you you probably had some uh, you know, misunderstandings or misconceptions about the Catholic Church. And mm -hmm. what you know, what some of their beliefs are or are not. Um, yeah. I know for me. Oh, well, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Actually, when I started the sort of that part of the journey of asking that question, mm -hmm. I immediately realized I had to put aside not only everything I'd been taught about Catholicism through I yeah. think well-intentioned evangelical teachers, but I also had to put aside its misrepresentative uh, misrepresentations by Catholics. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. uh, so I kind of had to put it, put both things aside mm -hmm. to say, okay, what did the early church really believe, yeah. and why did they believe it? And that's that's where that went. So, as as a conservative leaning Catholic, um, you currently have a, a pope who some have have said is maybe a little more liberal, maybe even uh, I've I've heard the words used to describe him as, as woke or or leftist or uh, anything like that and i'm uh, right. i'm wondering what your thoughts are on on how how you know how how does that interact with your faith and with your uh you know more conservative leaning beliefs or do you feel like there's misconceptions about the pope well no i think i think pope francis is a little more left leading uh leaning and and it's interesting because of course going back to history uh, the whole history of the church has been kind of a, a, a bumper cars experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going in one direction lightly. and another, depending yeah. on 
the direction of the Pope and how the Pope was responding to his times or even yeah. the influence of his personality and such. There's an irony here, and this may offend some people, but I'll say it anyway. That's what and we're that about is, here. Well, <laughs> the irony to me is that in many ways, Pope Francis is kind of like Donald Trump in that he says a lot of things. Yeah. But and then people get all agitated <laughs> one way or the other about what he said. But for me, I said, it's uh, uh, I'm not going to worry so much about what he says. I'm watching what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if if Donald Trump is Donald Trump, he does what he does. But I'm looking at his uh, in terms of what he actually does, what policies he's executing. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Pope Francis. I'm watching him, listening to him. Sometimes not listening, I don't mean ignoring, because I take very seriously what he teaches. Right. But I'm also aware that he pushes in certain directions that maybe we need to be pushed. Yeah. Uh, a kind of reckless love, a kind of um, uh, outreach that does move more towards the, the impression of compassion rather yeah. than a rigidity of doctrine. Now, again, it's bumper cars. Yeah. So. Uh, unless something winds up in the Catholic catechism as right. pure doctrine, which is unlikely to happen, that's one of those urban myths that, I mean, it's very rare that any pope could just wake up one morning and decide to make some substantial change to doctrine right. without consultation with all of the bishops and cardinals and such. So there's a checks and balances there. Nice. But um, so I, I'd lean from Pope Francis what I think I need to. Uh, in terms of heart and 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 outreach and what he appeals to us to do, um, while also hanging on to a f- very orthodox Catholicism. Right. Um, so uh, that's that's kind of it. I know he he upsets some, especially conservative Catholics. Yeah. I just do like I do with him like I do with Trump, which is. <laughs> uh, okay, I know he said it, and I'm not going to react to what he said. I want to see what he does. That is that is the I don't know that is the funniest comparison uh, to me. That's, that's, <laughs> I know, that's and always. some people would be very. Upset that, <laughs> I, I I thought about it and I think it's it's funny that we have these two leaders uh, who do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, he he has slightly better hair, I think. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, but you can't trademark it. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I have found I've I've watched wealthy people are interesting to me. Yeah. In the sense that um, so t- so often they do have these intuitive trademarks that they create for themselves because <laughs> I guess because they can afford to do it. And, yeah. uh, and so I, I looked at the hair and just went, well, it's his trademark. He, yeah. you know, it's what he's known for. And if he came in one day with a buzz cut, I, I think we'd go into a constitutional crisis. That's a, that's a fair point. And then, but then you see, <laughs> you, you, you see Boris, from uh from Great Britain there. Yeah. Uh he's kind of copying the the same same thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny, but it's just something that seems but it works. It reminds me of old style actors, a Groucho Marx, you know, with yeah, the yeah. painted mustache. <laughs> yeah. Everybody had their shtick. It's like Abbott and Costello. Everybody kind of <laughs> claims that thing that is is them. And then they can be mocked. Yeah. They can people do impressions of you and tease you because there's actually something to grab on to, to, um, to laugh at. Yeah. Whereas the innocuous milk toast 
can't even describe anything about them that's worth noting, you know, we tend to forget them. That's true. They are they're uh, another tool in his in his collection of tools that you know yep. garners attention yep. and transcends just regular political conversation to to everybody's talking about it because it's always everything about him is so ridiculous. Oh, and I always laughed. I mean, actors, especially rock stars, were always like this to me. They complain about how they just can't go anywhere. Right. And then you look at them and you go, well, you can't go anywhere because you dress and look the way you right. do and you stand out in a crowd. You can't walk <laughs> through an airport looking like that. Yeah. And even if people don't know who you are, they're looking at you. Right. So it's an attention getter. And yet they're complaining, you know, Look, if you, if you don't want attention, just dress boring and right. stop doing your hair that way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so I'm going to move on to our, uh, our, our first segment here, um, and that is... Check your privilege. So... <laughs> Uh, in, in, in each episode, uh, we like to take a moment. It really is, you know, it's kind of like, uh, what you Catholics do where you, where you have your, your confessional. Um, Mm -hmm. only the difference is, you know, if as a, as a white liberal, uh, full of, you know, my white liberal guilt, um, there's no forgiveness. Uh, Mm -hmm. there's just, uh, you know, you, you, you confess and then you feel bad about it. And That's then, a good point. There's no absolution. No. These days. Oh no no no! You're just trying to stay ahead of the woke monster, right. and and just you know trying to virtue signal about how bad you feel as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um. And so, uh, I you know for me, so it's it's an important kind of kind of practice we we do every week. Um. For for me, uh, recently, uh, you know, speaking of taking trips down memory lane. Uh, when I was a kid, and I've been I've been posting this all over social media because I'm way too excited uh, about this. Uh, but when I was a kid, I I begged my parents for this incredible Lego set called uh, the Black Seas Barracuda. Uh, were, were your kids into to Legos? Um, a little bit, um, not mm-hmm. as much. Uh, yeah. They might have been, but we had other things we were doing. But yeah, yeah. We, uh, I was huge, hugely into Legos. Uh, I would probably be listening to Adventures in Odyssey while playing in my Legos, and that was like half half my childhood, I'm sure. Um, mm. But uh, there was this pirate ship uh, that was called the Black Seas Barracuda. It was just this huge pirate ship, and it was so epic. And I begged my parents for it, and they they finally gave it to me for for Christmas uh, one year. And it was amazing. They did, didn't get much else, you know, because it was an expensive gift. But I didn't care. It was it was so amazing, and so ever since then, that's just been a treasured part of of my childhood memory. Um, and then just recently, Lego introduced uh, basically a reimagining of that pirate ship, where that original pirate ship like crash landed onto an island and like got converted into this pirate hideout and stuff. Um, but it can also, with those same parts, you can actually basically create that original 1989 uh, pirate ship. Um, mm. So I spent the week, I, I plunked down way more money than I've ever spent on, on a Lego set. Um, and I went ahead and, and I purchased that, that set. And I, I spent the, the weekend uh, building it with my kids. 
they 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 kind of tapped out a couple times so i found myself just 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 building the lego set myself for for a good chunk of it um but it was so worth it and now i have this this huge lego pirate ship it's way bigger than i expected it's totally not going to fit on my shelf um i i don't know where i'm going to put it but i'm mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's like getting to time travel back to my childhood and have this this pirate ship uh, back in my life again and um and that is you know absolutely a a a sign of my privilege that i can just splurge on this and and for for no other reason than 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 recapturing my childhood so this is your confession and now yes. i'm trying to I'm trying to go now. How how do you take that into guilt? I mean, how, how do you feel guilty about that? Apart from the you know the time away from your family while you're doing this, or, or hey, you know the fact yeah. that your kids won't be able to go to college now because you were doing right, that. right. So, is that it? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's it basically, and you know, and just the fact that I you know I I, I splurged on on that money. Uh, you know, the the, the cost of of the item itself. Uh, uh, you know, it's uh, basically I feel super guilty uh, yeah. about in- indulgence. Well, see, but you you have to understand in my house um, when when my kids who are now 21 and 19, but the whole question of college came up, I would just take them into their rooms and, and point to their closets <laughs> and say, I want you to look. This is why we're not paying for your college, because <laughs> we've been spending all the money along the way for all those things that you wanted whether they were you know train sets or right lip when when my daughter wanted to learn guitar and sort right. of play with it but you know so as parents you know you're constantly encouraging it so really it's sort of a self-indulgent guilt that you're feeling right yes now. I mean, do you want to talk about this should we really have a discussion here and <laughs> yeah we could go there yeah <laughs> you know you know let's let's talk about whether you, but see if you have the discretionary income uh, yeah i don't know but see yeah. that yeah, having that discretionary income is a sign of my my privilege. Your, your, your privilege. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah. everything is the 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 way you need to look at the world mm-hmm. is, you know, you count your blessings, but not so that you can be thankful for them, but yeah. so that you can feel bad for them, and you know, add that to your collection of privileges that need to be checked. And that you need to feel guilty about, right? That is privilege and prosperity. Exactly, um, because success is really just any any form of success is is really just uh, your unearned privilege, and right. and you need to always always be mindful of that. Well, and it's fascinating to me, by the way, on that line is the ought to, um, yes. because you have groups that. One group would might say, I worked hard, I made this money, however I made it, either yeah. through just sweat or through shrewd stock market effort or right. whatever it is, having earned the, the money, if you've done that legitimately without breaking any laws, then the one group would say, well, that's, that's fair. Right. And then from a Christian point of view, there would be the, okay, well, and what do you do with that? Who do you, you know, how do you help others through right. gifts God had given you? And then there's the Autu group. Yes. The Autu group is the group that will tell you you need to feel guilty because um, you bought that and enjoyed it and and um, actually got a break from whatever else you do in your life 
right. by indulging that. But you really should have given all that money away to mm-hmm. help other people, whether you think they're deserving of it or not. Yeah. And uh, and that's the tension I think we're all we all face. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But um, and we actually okay. Here's I'll give you a confession then. Okay. Okay. I can do <laughs> this real quick. I'll give you my confession. All right. Years ago, because I'm in the media, and I'm a kind of a purist. I love mm-hmm. kind of purity of sound. You know that the I'm hearing the songs as the Beatles intended them. I'm hearing right. them as close to the studio experience as possible. Or I'm watching a movie, and I'm seeing it. You know, in in the sort of pristine, best as it can be. So years ago. I'll just say 20 years ago or so. Um, we bought what was then the largest tube television you could buy. <laughs> right. It was a 40-inch Mitsubishi. Right. Yes. And it cost huge a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt the the guilt that you're talking about. It's like mm. almost immediately. I'm looking at thing on one hand, I'm loving everything I'm watching on this. Right. This is pretty high definition. Yeah. I'm watching everything and feeling guilty at the same time. Wow. And so we actually began to call that TV bail. (laughs) (laughs) So the TV became bail because we joked because we always seemed to be bowing in front of it in order to put in a, <laughs> right. <laughs> we were constantly bowing in front of this TV. So we called it bail. Right. And um that's funny. Uh, that's my that's my guilt that's confession. B-A-A-L. Yep. Yeah. Bail as in the <laughs> Old Testament false god. Right. That's funny. That's funny. Did you keep it? You kept it though, right? Well, no, actually, um to it was a strange form of relief. We moved to England. Okay. In 1997, we moved to England and said, we're not paying for this thing to go over there um, right. because it's different voltage and it's it's not PAL because they use a different system, PAL, right. and we use NTSC, and this was NTSC. That's right. So we just said, we're, we're going to get rid of it. Uh, and and so we, we, we actually couldn't sell it because nobody would pay us anything close to what we had paid for it. Right. So we, uh, okay, here's another confession. I wound up giving it. I donated it to focus on the family. Oh, well, there you go. And for years, they used it in the boardroom for presentations up until, of course, the emergence of better technology. Right. I don't know what's become of it. I haven't asked. But uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it. we had it for a while and then I let it go. That is funny. Well, hey, it went to a good cause. You did, you know, it was, it was Ultimately, a. It did. It, it was a it, delayed donation, you it know? It was a guilt-induced donation, for sure. <laughs> that is funny. Bail, I love that. That's that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> the, the the image of bowing down to it to put the, the VHS tape is is something. Yep. Today's generation, today's kids just don't appreciate no with true. their Netflix they, and their... <laughs> the whole idea of mechanisms and how mechanisms work. Yeah. Um, you know, my son, I'll never forget when he was little and the first time he actually saw me put a record on yes in the digital world it it blew his mind that you put this this arm with a needle onto this black disc and it would go across and music would come out and then at the end the the arm would rise up and move back into position (laughs) yes and i thought well of course with cds and digital everything we have now all of the magic is invisible yes 
That is that is exactly the word I use to describe records because that is that is exactly how I feel. I, I actually have a record collection because I'm a hipster, um, and the if you tell me anything in the modern age, you know, was done with computers, I'm like, well, of course it was done with computers, you know, so of course computers can do anything, mm-hmm. but the technology that predates, you know. CDs and MP3s and, and digital media and and all that. The the technology that existed before that is the mm-hmm. technology that blows my mind. You can't blow my mind with a computer, but you can blow my mind with you printed sound onto this disc mm-hmm. before computers. Like like how is that possible? I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> I can't wrap no, my mind I, around I, that. I'm absolutely with you. It it's because you have a physical manifestation that you actually can see, see it in operation. Yeah. And you know, yeah. the effort, there's effort to it. Whereas uh, computers are, uh, well, uh, they're, they're almost dangerously simplistic in the sense that they do amazing things. Yeah. In these tiny spaces, as opposed to like my first computer. Yeah. But everything now uh, is, it's, it's a different kind of magic, yeah. I guess. But to be actually see the magic trick to a great degree. The needle goes on and the music comes out. How in the world is that even possible to imprint sound of that level onto a disc? No, I'm I'm completely with you on that. And actually my son, who is very retro in his thinking about a lot of this stuff, would agree. Uh, It's fun to see the magic. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, you know, my kids can can tell Alexa to put on any song they want, but yeah. there's a different thrill to actually, you know, uh, my youngest loves to be able to, oh, dad, can I put the record on? Yeah. You know, there's, it's a totally different experience. I don't, it's some, psychologically, there's like this, this physical interaction with it is just, it creates, well, I don't know what it does. Literally, because you have to get up every 20 minutes to turn the record over. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, you, it's not like you know my my playlists on my iTunes, where yeah. I could actually just start and and go. I think lately I could probably go, you know, a hundred days without yeah. repeating a track, yeah. um, and it just keeps going and going. Whereas yeah. it actually forces me to stand up and walk over to the thing to to yeah. turn the record over. We kind of take those things for granted. Yeah. Well, and the I feel like the the hunt for music. Uh, you know, now it's all, you have access to the entire, you know, Apple music or Amazon music oh, yeah. or Spotify. You have access to everything with the click of a button. Uh, but to like go to a record shop and like, actually like, oh, I love this artist. Let me check out this album or, you know, just, hey, that looks like a cool, cool album. I'll check it out. And you take it home and there's, I don't know, it's like the thrill of the hunt. There's, oh, there's something and, to be well, said it for is that. Because now you've got postage stamp sized covers right that you're looking at through the digital form <laughs> yeah. which aren't even uh, in fact i understood from friends in the music industry that records in part records had made a comeback vinyl albums made a comeback not just to high-end users but the younger generation yeah began to buy them because when they bought them like from amazon or different sources they got a digital version of it anyway for right. having bought the vinyl yeah so the vinyl they hardly they didn't play they love the artwork yeah 
love the fact that you had this big picture and usually yeah. side sleeves or if it was a, a gatefold and you'd open it up and you'd see lyrics and you'd see pictures. Um, and I get that. The Again, yeah. the uh, sensual, if I can call it that, uh, reality <laughs> la la. of what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, it, you know, you kind of undress the album and you take the album out <laughs> and then you put it on the thing. I mean, we could, we could get very worried about that. But, um, but but there was the whole physicality of even that. Yeah. And also handling it gently because you didn't want to scratch the Right, record. right. You know, you wanted to be very careful, at least until <laughs> you recorded it on a cassette and played that over and over again. So you, you, right. know, you got a steam recording. Yeah. Ah, days gone Well, I uh, definitely... Uh, appreciate you you coming on on the show um one of the reasons i just wanted to throw this out there you know one of the reasons i i reached out to you um you know i've i've kept my eye on you a little bit on social media and, and stuff just from uh interest from you know having an affinity for the work you do with adventures and odyssey and, and beyond that um but you recently posted something on your birthday um mm. that i i absolutely loved and i'll, I'll include a link in the in the show notes because i i ended up covering it in an article for notthebee.com, uh, which is the sister website to Babylon Bee, um, mm-hmm. because you, you made so many great points about your, your premise was, you know, people are kind of, there's this culture of like, okay, you need to just shut up and listen to, to what we're saying. And you, you wrote this awesome, I, I don't know what, how you would describe it. It's a letter, I guess, an, an open letter. Um, just talking about what happens when you do listen to what the culture is saying. And mm. I, I loved it so much. And I, I think we're run, running out of time, so I won't go into it too much, but um, right. you, you, well, it, was, it was interesting to do because it was a letter to these nameless, faceless influencers yeah. that have been telling me things all my life. Yeah. Because that was the funny thing is I've been told to listen. And then I realized I have been listening to, yeah. to you guys all my life. And here's what you told me. Yeah. And so I did my list of, of, of basically what I heard. And, and what amazes me is it's a very long post. And, yeah. and I'm astonished that anybody even looked at it because people were used to really quick, almost Twitter-like posts. But um, it, there were a lot of responses. Yeah, it was really, I mean, it was really concise and well-written. You know, some of the stuff you, you touched on. You declared, you know, speaking to the, the faceless culture, you declared that absolute truth did not exist, then made your subjective truth absolute. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's just, it's, it's phrased so perfectly, and, and there's so much truth. Uh, created a culture of death and expected me to celebrate the ways you demeaned and disregarded human life weaponized mm-hmm. tolerance, equality, diversity, inclusivity, law, and social order, all to create a chaos you believe you can control. Um, mm-hmm. So somebody just like, great, just like, boom, mic drop, mic drop, just little nuggets in there. Uh, again, I'll, I'll include the link in, in the show notes at stunningandbrave.net. Um, but I want to thank you for being on the show. Um, what, are you, what are you working on right now? What... what uh, you know, where can our audience find you and, and what, what can, can you promote to them? Well, I, I still have my, my websites out there. Um, I don't know if they can look up my name on Amazon. I'm, uh, right now, I have done some other, over the last few years, uh, a few more audio dramas mm-hmm. uh, through uh, the organization I work with now, uh, the Augustine Institute out of Denver. 
Okay. And um, and novels. I'm doing a lot of novels right now for different age groups. Okay. Some like first reader, a series of first reader novels called The Adventures of Nick and Sam. Um, and then this, it's called The Virtue Chronicles, which is a time travel kind of thing uh, for the older readers, more for 10 to 13, kind of that Odyssey range. Nice. And by the way, everything I'm working on with them falls in a realm called Hope Springs. Okay. And it's, it's like a Marvel universe, but set or based out of this small town called Hope Springs, Colorado. Oh, cool. Okay. And And I've sort of mapped out how I could probably do stories for any age group all in the context of this nice. universe called Hope Springs. So nice. that's what I've been working on a lot lately. Oh, cool. And uh, what is your website? Where can we find you? Uh, it's paulmccusker.com. And um, so P-A-U-L-M-C-C-U-S-K-E-R.com uh, uh, or search the name on um, on Amazon or wherever you like to shop. And also I my Facebook page and a few other places like that. Awesome. I'll have the, the link to that in the, the show notes as well at stunningandbrave.net, but check out paulmccusker.com to see his uh, past and, and, and present works. Um, he's got a wide variety from audio drama to novels to uh, even a, a movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Beyond the Mask is, is in there. Awesome. I mean, I, I don't dare call it mine. It's really the brainchild of the Burns boys, as I call them, Chad okay. and Aaron Burns, but it was a lot of fun to work with them on that. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again for for being on the show, and uh, to all our listeners, um, thank you for for listening and joining us for this episode. And as always, visit us at stunningandbrave.net and leave us a review on whatever podcatcher you're using, and we will catch you next time. If you're not telling everyone about this show, you're probably a potophobe and a Nazi. Don't be a potophobe. Tell your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe.